Well, welcome. I'm glad you're back. This is our final message in the book of James. We've taken the whole summer and we've been we've been walking through the book of James. Um, I don't know about you, but it's been good just to study it and then to create a message for it. It's been fun. It's been challenging. Uh, if, if you know anything about James in the book of James is he doesn't sugarcoat anything. So for the whole summer, none of you have gotten sugarcoated. Some of you might feel that way <laughs> coming through the book of James. You're kind of like, golly, pastor, this was tough. I mean, but, but honestly, the book of James is tough, but it's straightforward and he's got a message. And so we've been talking about James and, and if you don't know, James is the little brother of Jesus. He's a little half-brother of Jesus, and he's a pastor over a church, and he's, he's got a pastor's heart. And, and we, we talked about in the first couple of weeks how James didn't give his life to Jesus until he was later on in Jesus' ministry. I mean, how awkward that have, would have that have been to be a teenager and to be in the, the room you're sharing a bunk bed with your brother named Jesus and to get on the floor one day and bow before him and say, would you save me? A little awkward, right? So it was later on in life that James became a believer that Jesus was actually the Messiah, that Jesus was actually Christ, right? And, and then he becomes a pastor, and so now he's got a pastor's heart, and he's pastoring his church. And so the book of James is him preaching to his church. He's talking to his church. He's talking to believers, and he's straightforward. He's not, he's not sugar. Like I say, he's not sugarcoating anything. He's not tatang anybody. He's just coming at him with the truth, and he's saying, here you go. This is where it's at. Now, what are you going to do about it? How many of you appreciate that kind of message? Five of you. Thank you. I do. I, I don't like the sugar coat. I like my sugar in desserts, not necessarily in God's word. Amen. So James is also known as the, the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's a book of wisdom. Lots of great things in James. So today we're finishing up our, our last part in chapter 5, the final part of chapter 5. And we're talking today about making faith work. Making faith work. So I hope by the end of the day we learned how to make faith work. Sometimes you've got to put some action with your faith to make faith work. Amen? So James chapter 5, starting in verse 13, if you want to follow along with me, it says this, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Wow, isn't that cool? If you're sick, if you're hurting, if you've got things going on, pray. How many times does he say pray in those couple of verses? He's got a point. Pray. You need to pray. If you're sick, you need to call for the elders in the church to come and pray over you and anoint you with oil so that you can be healed. And if you committed sins, your sins will be forgiven. How many of you would say there's power in prayer? If you're sick, you'll be healed if you pray. What's the opposite? If you don't pray, I'll leave it like that. That's exactly what you get. Nothing. Right? James says he's challenging his church to pray. So when we, when we talk about healing, a lot of people find themselves on, and I say a lot of, maybe most of the church today finds itself on either one extreme or the other. 
Some people believe in the whole name it, claim it, frame it thing that you, you, you name it, you claim it, and God's got to do it because you named it and you claimed it, right? How many of you know people like that? I'm not going to ask you if that's you. You know you know people like that. <laughs> and then we have people that are on the other side of the pendulum who go, God doesn't do that anymore. God doesn't heal people anymore. He closed shop. He's not, he's not in the healing business anymore. How many of you know people like that? I had, I had a guy tell me one time, one of my closest friends, he says, man, God don't speak to us like that. He used to speak to Moses, but he don't speak to us today like that. <laughs> really? <laughs> I beg to differ. So you, you, you may ask the question when it comes to healing, well, why doesn't God answer as soon as we pray? How many of you have ever asked a question like that? Why doesn't he answer as soon as I pray? Why doesn't he answer like I pray? <laughs> How many of you want him to show up a certain way and he might not? And you ask the question, well, why? Right? And I've asked that question, you know, why, what, God, why don't you show up? I remember when my mom was dying of brain, brain cancer, and I prayed, and I said, God, heal her. But whatever your will is, do your will. And he, he took her. He took her into heaven, and I was like, okay. And so I was like, why? Why didn't you answer my prayer? And I've discovered the answer to that question. And it's a good answer. And the answer is, I don't know. The answer is, I don't know why God doesn't heal or move when we pray like we want him to move or when we want him to move. I don't know. I've tried to wrap my head around the fact that God answers prayer like he wants to and understand it, but I just come to the conclusion, I don't know why God does what he does. But I do know this, that he always does what's right. Amen? He always does what's right. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative and I'm actually glad that I serve a God that I can't wrap my brain around. Right? I mean, because how, how good would it really be to serve a God that you understand? Right? What kind of God is that if I can understand him? You see, I appreciate the fact that God does things that I have no clue about. That God moves in ways that I don't understand. I mean, he does things that just doesn't make sense to me. Any of you argue with God? Come on, just, this is a real church. You can raise your hand. If the rest of you, whoever didn't raise your hand, you're lying. Seriously. I argue with God. I'm like, man, why you didn't do it this way? And, I, and sometimes I want to tell him what to do. God, you know, if you would just done this and then done this, it would have went a whole lot faster, God. Man, what's the deal? But I don't understand. And I don't know why he does what he does. So let me give you three things that I do know from the book of James. Just studying the book. These, these are three things that I do know from the book of James. Number one, God still heals people. Can I get an amen? God still heals people today. Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God is still in the healing business. He hasn't closed shop. He hasn't taken a vacation. He hasn't taken a break. He doesn't work from nine to five. He still heals people like he wants to heal them. Amen. Connie is a lady in our church. She's serving in children's church today. She was on the verge of having to have a kidney transplant. Her kidneys were shutting down. She's, she's serving in children's church today with no kidney transplant. God healed her. 
I thought you'd have been a little bit more excited about that. <laughs> Miss Mary, who's, is Miss Mary here? Miss Mary, who's normally here, was healed of cancer. Healed. And I could go on and on about people that were healed. God is still in the healing business today. Amen. He hasn't closed shop and he still does miracles. Second Timothy 4.18 says that the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the question is, is which one is God going to do? Is he going to rescue me from every evil attack or is he going to bring me into his kingdom? And the answer is yes, he's going to do both. And here's the crazy thing. Both of them are a miracle. When God rescues us today from every evil attack, it's a miracle. When God brings us into his heavenly kingdom, it's a miracle. Amen? Sometimes we don't rejoice in what God does because he didn't do it the way we wanted him to do it. Right? You didn't change from being a kid. When your parents didn't give you what you wanted like you wanted, you boudeed. We still treat God the same way, don't we? When God doesn't show up, what happens? The bottom lip starts dragging. Man, God healed you, man. Yeah, he healed me. Took him two years. We got to learn to rejoice in whatever God does. Because we got to know that he's doing what's right. And that he's got the ultimate plan. He's got the end result in mind. And we don't. The second thing we see from James. And James kind of changes the subject on us here. He goes, God is also concerned. Number two, God is also concerned about my soul. Aren't you glad? God is also concerned about my soul. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. What kind of prayer? The earnest prayer of who? A righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Do you know that God's more concerned about your soul than your physical body? You realize that? Sometimes we get so wrapped up in how we feel physically that we forget what he's done for our soul. Amen? He's more concerned about your soul than your physical body. Doesn't mean that he doesn't want to heal your physical body. Doesn't mean that he doesn't want you to to not be in pain and to have freedom. Doesn't mean that, but he's more concerned about your soul. And you ought to be glad about that because your soul is going to last for eternity. Right? Right? We spend a lot of time, money, and energy and efforts into the physical body, don't we? I mean, it took a lot to get me to where I am today. I mean, you just don't know how much bluebell I had to eat to be the man I am today. It just don't happen overnight, people. You got to work at this. And then we had chocolate pie last night. I won't even go there. I'm going to have to repent this afternoon. After I eat the last piece. <laughs> but God is concerned about my soul. Matthew 10, 28. Watch this. Watch what Jesus says. He says, don't be afraid of those who kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying, don't worry about the people that can kill your body, that can do something to your physical body. Worry about somebody who can mess with your soul. You see how he's more worried and more, not worried, but he's more concerned about your soul than your physical body. Luke 10, 19 to 20 says, look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy 
and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Isn't that good? Jesus is saying, it's great that I've given you this power to overcome all these evil spirits and to do all these great works on the, on the earth. And that's awesome. Woo-hoo! But don't get, don't get distracted by that. I know people that have been distracted by the gifts of God. I know people that have, have been shipwrecked because of the, the miracle working power of God. They get caught up in the ministry and they get caught up in the, in the actions of God and they forget the fact that their soul is saved, that their name is written in heaven. Jesus is saying you need to rejoice. If you're going to be happy about something, be happy that your name is written in the book of life. That you're already registered in heaven. Come on, somebody. That ought to keep a smile on your face, right? You may need to write that down somewhere so that you can remember. When you're boudin, you can remember. My name is written in the book of life. <laughs> right? Because that's what we need to rejoice about. That's, what it, that's what's exciting. Number three, the third thing I see from James is that God wants me to grow in faith. He wants to take us on a faith journey. I used to believe that a faith journey was you make one great decision for, to follow God, and it was, it was a decision that required faith, and you were done. It was kind of like school. I thought I took one test, and I was done. Didn't work that way. God's taking me on a faith journey. It's a journey. We're going somewhere. And here's the cool thing about this faith journey. And you need to know this. And you may need to evaluate this in your own life. But that the decision you make today to follow God, the decision you make to step out in faith today should be followed by a decision that causes you to use more faith later. I don't know if I said that clear. The faith decision you make today should be trumped by the, faith, by the faith decision you make tomorrow. That's growing in faith, right? You need to stop living out of the past faith decision you made, and you need to start looking forward to the next faith decision that God's going to call you to make because you're on a journey. You're on this planet for a reason. He wants to use you. He wants to do incredible things with your life, and that those things require faith. Amen? God wants to take you to another level. It's like a tree planted by the river. You should be continuing to grow. When you stop growing, you're in trouble. Amen? You should go from one faith decision to another one. Right? 14 years ago, we made a decision to go find Bubba, ask him what he needs, and help him. That's what God spoke. That was the word we got from God. Go find Bubba, ask him what he needs, and help him. So we packed our bags. Two weeks later, we put our house up for sale, quit my job, got another job, moved two hours over here to follow Bubba. (laughs) Now, that's a word. (laughs) Spiritual. Follow Bubba, boy. And we stepped out in faith, and God showed up, and God really started doing things in our lives. And can I be honest with you? I thought we were done. I mean, I hung that trophy on my wall and I polished it every week. And I was like, man, we made a faith step. None of my friends have made a decision like this. Woo! I was tooting my own horn. And then God said, I'm not done with you, son. And as he's continued to cause me to step out in faith, it's a journey. 
There's something new to be discovered. Amen. Hebrews 11.6 says that it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Did you hear that? It's impossible to please God without faith. God loves faith and he loves for us to have faith and to grow in faith. James 5 verse 17, look at what James, kind of the direction James heads here. He goes, he brings up Elijah. He says, Elijah was a human as we are. It's kind of awkward, right? So he's talking to his church and he says, hey, he says, Elijah, he was a human just like we are. Now, if you know anything about Elijah, Elijah and Moses were the two guys that showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus came and then Peter was there and Peter said something stupid. You remember that? That story wrecked the whole thing. Elijah was one of those guys. And James says, Elijah was human just as we are. That's how he starts this off. He brings up Elijah and he says, he's human just like we are. He says, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again and the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. How many of you remember that story? Elijah comes to King Ahab and he says, it's not going to rain. It's not going to do. It's not going to mist. I wish he'd have said there's going to be no humidity, right? <laughs> that would have been like a word right there. But he said, there's not going to be any rain until I give the word. For three and a half years, they were in a drought, a severe drought. And after they have the big battle on Mount Carmel or with the prophet, the 450 prophets of Baal, they, they throw their altar up and Elijah throws his up and he wets it and the Lord strikes it. Everybody falls down on their face. And then Elijah takes the 450 prophets and he kills them. Then he comes back up to the top of the mountain and Elijah gets on his face before God. And he starts praying for rain and he has a servant with him. And he sends the servant. He says, he says, go look at the, at the edge of the mountain and tell me what you see. And the servant goes and he comes back and says, I don't see any clouds. I don't see anything. The sky is clear. He says, go again. And he keeps on praying. Seven times he sent the servant back. And the last time he came back, he said, I seen a cloud. It's about the size of a man's fist. Elijah realized that God was going to show up. And he says, I'll tell you what, go tell Ahab. He better get ready to run because there's some rain coming. Right? And then God does an incredible thing. And we'll finish the story towards the end of the message. But James, is, he's pointing out Elijah, that Elijah was growing in faith. He went from faith to faith to faith. And James is challenging the church to pray and walk in faith. Pray and walk in faith. You getting something yet? Let me give you five points to end this all up. Number one, faith begins with a word from God. You need to get a word from God. And if you believe that God doesn't speak, then you're not going to get a word from God. Amen? You got to believe that God speaks to his people. And that he wants to give you a word for your, your family, a word for your life. Just like the parents that were here. He's going to give you parents a word for your children. And you need to hang on to that word. But before you hang on to that word, you need to make sure that a word lines up with God's word. Because I know a lot of people said they had a word. <laughs> and it didn't line up with anything. Right? 
Faith begins with a word from God. You base it off of God's word. First Kings 17, 1 Kings 17.1. Now, Elijah was from Tishbe and Gilead. Told King Ahab, as surely as, sure, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain until the next, during the next few years until I give the word. The promises of God always come to pass. His promises always come to pass. That was a good place to say amen. His promises always come to pass and they very seldom come to pass in our timing. And when we want, right? Isaiah 55, 11 says, it's the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish what I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. God's word will accomplish what he wants it to do. And everywhere he sends it, it does what he wants it to do. So number two, faith continues when you hold on to what he said. And if that's true, then the opposite is is true, that you can let go of what God has said. Amen? You can let go. You can have a word from God and you can let go of it. But if you hold on to it by faith, it will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. Right? Seven times Elijah prayed and he kept trusting God. And for some of you here this morning, you've been hanging on to a word that God gave you and you've been hanging on to it for maybe two years, maybe five years, maybe 20 years. And there's been times that you've wanted to let go of that word, that promise that God's given you. Can I tell you something this morning? Just hang on. Just hang on. Hang on to that word. Hang on to that promise. Because his word will accomplish what he wants it to accomplish. Amen. My wife's aunt. is actually Pastor Zach's aunt also. She's married to Pastor Bubba's brother. And they were divorced. At, at early in marriage, they were divorced. And, and she had a word from God to hang on. Don't get remarried. Don't, don't seek another relationship. Stay pure. I'm going to bring him back. She waited 16 years. And today they are married, doing better than they've ever done in history. Now, I don't see anybody signing up for 16 years of hanging on, right? Anybody want a long-term ministry? (laughs) Anybody want a long-term word this morning? But God answers and God does his thing. So I've got a word for you this morning. Are you glad pastor showed up with a word? I got a word for everybody here this morning. You may want to get your pencil out. It's out. You may want to write it down. Okay. Here's your word. That's legit. You're going to hang on to this one. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. If what? If we do not give up, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. You know what I'm trying to teach my son right now? Is that when things get tough, you don't give up. When you don't feel like doing what you've been told to do, don't give up. It's a hard lesson for me to teach him that. 
right? But that's your word. You leave here today with a word, Galatians 6, 9. You need to memorize that. You need to hang that on your mirror. Maybe take some lipstick. That's kind of hard to get off the mirror. Men, don't use your own. Just borrow your wife's. Galatians 6, 9. Don't grow weary. Because don't we grow weary? Don't we get tired? Don't we give up? Don't we get boo Right? We complain. We murmur. We gripe. And you know what? God is so gracious that he takes all of our junk and all the stuff and the attitude and everything that we give him. And he still fulfills his promise. You know why? Because when he gives his word, it has to come to pass. When he gives a promise, it has to work. Otherwise, he's known as a liar. The God I serve is not a liar. His word comes to pass. Amen. So faith continues to hold on to what he said. And you got to understand this. that On this faith journey, it's a process. It takes time in this faith journey. Wow, I was, I was a young Christian. I believed that everything was going to happen. Boom, 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 boom. Just like a young man would normally believe. And, and the thing I'm realizing now is that God has a timing. He has a process. He, he, he knows the plans. He's setting things up around you. You got to get this. He's at work around you. See, a lot of times it's not that he's trying to hold something back from you. It's just he's trying to set the whole stage up. You follow me? I'll give you an example. Joel, Joel Belt. I believe the, my personal belief, and I'll give it to you. The reason God hasn't healed him yet is because he's, he's building a cloud of witnesses all around. You know how many people are watching that boy right now? God is setting the stage for him to do a miracle and for others to see that miracle happen. You know, you're not the only person that's going to witness the promise come to pass in your life. God has put a cloud of witnesses around you. There are people that are watching you, the naysayers, the people that say Christianity is fake, the people that say you're crazy, you're going to a whacked out church, you, you, you've done falling off your, your rocker, you, you must be on drugs. What the heck are you doing giving 10% of your money to a church? That's going in that pastor's pocket. You crazy. All those people that are saying all those things, God's going to invite them to your coming out party. He's going to invite them to the promise party. And when the promise hits, those people are going to see. Just like with Elijah, when his altar was saturated three times with water, And he calls out, and the Bible says, immediately God struck the altar, lapped up the wood, lapped up the bull, lapped up all the water, and even the dust, the Bible says. People were so moved that they fell on their face and repented to God. You need to get a visual of that because let me tell you something. When God shows up in your life and he fulfills the promise or the word that he's given you. People are going to be so moved they're going to fall on their face and repent. People will come and fall at your feet if you're not careful. Because God does something incredible and he builds a cloud of witnesses and it takes a process. But all he's telling us to do is just hang on. Come on, somebody. Hang on. Bump your neighbor. They're half asleep. Say, hang on. 
Number three, God, I mean, faith goes from a small beginning to a grand finale. Faith goes from a small beginning to a grand finale. Isn't it funny how that happens? Faith starts in the small beginnings. But some of us, we don't like small beginnings. Right? First Kings 18 says this, and, as, as, and soon the sky was black with clouds and the heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. And Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Did you catch that? He was just praying and he'd send his servant out. He said, hey, what do you see? Go tell me what you see. Seven times the servant comes back. I don't see anything. The seventh time he says, I see a rain cloud the size of a man's fist. Elijah says, you better go tell Ahab, you better start heading home or else the rain's going to stop him. So Ahab jumps on his chariot and the Bible says that he quickly leaves to head back to Jezreel. So then Elijah gets up and he takes his cloak and he tucks it in his belt and his white legs or whatever color they were. And he takes off running. And the Bible says... That God gave him special strength. I don't know if you caught this. But not only did he run down the chariot. He beat Ahab to the city. And was waiting for him. Because you see Elijah was a, a, a smack talker. He could talk trash. Seriously. I mean the prophets of Baal were praying over their, over their, their altar. They're cutting themselves. And he's just like talking trash. This brother was confident in what God could do. And I can only imagine what he felt like after he ran down the chariot. But it started with a small cloud the size of a fist. And it ended in him running down a chariot and beating Ahab to the city. Can I just say it with a dress on? (laughs) Ran him down with a dress on. Come on, son. That's manly right there. I mean. If you wear dresses, but I mean, I'm just saying, he, he ran that brother with a, I, I, I ought to talk trash. I beat you with a dress on. Get you some of that. And that's insult to injury right there, right? With a dress on. Look at what Zechariah 4.10 says. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Wow. God loves the small beginnings. You know what? A lot of times we, we just we just despise our small beginnings. We despise the the time when God maybe first spoke to you and it was something so simple. I remember the first time I, 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 I heard God tugging on my heart and heard his voice. And I remember I was just but maybe 12 or 13 years old. And I had an uncle who was spending the night. In my, I lived with my grandparents and he was spending the night. He was dying of AIDS. And, and the Lord told me, he said, go make sure he's right with me. I mean, everybody's to sleep. I'm like 12 years old and I'm going. And I got up and I went to his bed and I said, Uncle Larry, you awake? I am now. So look, the Lord wanted me to. God wanted me to make sure you were okay with him. And he reassured me right there. He said, I'm okay with God. 
He said, me and God are good. And it just happened just like that. I turned around and went right back to bed. That was the first time I'd ever heard God's voice. First time I'd ever heard him tell me something. And you know what? I always forget about that story. That's a small beginning, right? God's taking me to other places. But let me tell you something. God doesn't despise your small beginning. He's not despising where you are today. He's rejoicing about where you are today because he knows where he wants you to go. Amen? Because you're on a journey. If you've given your life to Jesus and you've trusted your life in his hands and you've said, Lord, you take control of my life, then let me tell you something. You're on a journey. And the journey is called faith. And he wants you to grow in faith. And you know what that means? That just means he wants you to trust him a little bit more every day. Right? Just trust him a little bit more. I, I, I hear God telling me that all the time. Just trust me, son. When I get anxious... When I get nervous about how he's going to show up, when maybe the money gets tired, oh, God, he's like, are you going to trust me? Yeah, but God, they're calling. Yeah, but are you going to trust me? Okay, all right, I'll trust you. God doesn't despise the small beginnings. So the faith journey is a process. It's kind of like being a parent. You remember when you, you were all anticipating having your kids for the first time, those of you who have kids? It was a big day, right? The, the, the birthday, the very first birthday when they came out in their birth suit, right? I mean, that was a big day. And then the, the next big day is when they leave your house, <laughs> right? Some of you rejoice more when they leave than when they came. I don't know why, but you do. But here's the deal. It's kind of like your faith journey with God is that you can't just focus on the small beginning and the grand finale. You got to know that there's a process. And that's the in-between. So like with your kids, the most memories you have, the greatest times you had was in the process. It was between when they were born and when they left your house. When they left your house, you probably had the thought of they grew up too fast and they left too early. Right? Just shake your head. Your kids might be here. Okay? But, but the, the thing that you're really missing is the process. It's the in-between time. It's the time when you, when you listen to them complain. It's the time when they cried about their bobos, right? We give my son a hard time. Seven o'clock is teddy bear hour. He's, is he in here? He busted me last night, but seven o'clock, everything starts hurting. Okay, so, so the girls, the girls are coming walking by and he's, he's like working on his mama because he knows better to try to work on me. He's like, mom, like last night was like, look at my lip. So we had this big old thing before he goes to bed about his lip. So we give him a hard time. But you know what? There's going to be a day when I'm going to miss the teddy bear hour. There's going to be a day when I miss picking on him about the teddy bear hour. Now I'll share it at his wedding and I'll share it to his kids and I'll tell everybody about it. But I'm going to miss hearing him. You follow what I'm saying? So on your faith journey with God, there's times when you have a teddy bear hour. And I want you to know that God doesn't run from those times. He embraces those times. Because he enjoys the process. Amen? Because in the process is when you're the closest to God. Right? It's in the process. It's in the time when you're scared. Or it's even in the time when you're excited. When you're happy or when you're sad. 
That's the process. It's the in-between, the small beginning and the grand finale. And that's where we get to walk with God and we get to be in his presence. Can I just tell you that in my life, when I've hit grand finales, when the grand finale is over with, and we all go, woo, me and Cheryl giving each other knuckles, woo, woo. There comes a loneliness, it seems. Because I, what I really miss is the process. It's just like a parent missing their kid being home every day. When I left for college, my mom didn't know what to do. She stayed up till 10 o'clock at night washing her car. She just, she really did not know what to do. So I've got that control over people. Some of you are going to miss me as soon as you leave church. It's okay. God may bring me back. But God is no different. He loves the process. Amen. That was just full of pride, wasn't it? So number four, the process is the point. The process is the point. God wants to spend time with us. Right? He created us not to leave us alone. He created us to spend time with us. Amen? To go through the hard times, to go through the easy times, to go through the the good times and the bad. That's the process. He loves that part. James 5 says it like this. This is kind of how James closes his book. He wants his people to go from promise to process to payoff to the right perspective. And James says it like this, my dear brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So James is telling the church all these things throughout the whole book, how you need to walk by faith. You need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Don't get angry too easy. Don't fight over the silly things in life. Stay focused on what you're supposed to be focused on. And he ends it with the final point of, it's not about you, it's about eternity. And he says this to this church. He said, if anyone among you wonders, Whoever brings that person back saves them from certain death and saves them and and allows them to have forgiveness of many sins. You see, James ends his book with heaven. Heaven is the point. You need to rejoice that your name's written in heaven, but you also need to be busy about telling other people about Jesus and getting more names written in the book of of life, right? He's saying it's all about eternity. You need to look out for one another. If somebody starts to wonder, you need to help that brother out, right? Sometimes they kick and scream when you try to help them out. You know what they teach you in, in, in lifeguard school? That if you go to save somebody who's drowning, if they give you too much trouble, just knock them out. I wish we could imply or implement that in the church. Because seriously, there's some of you folks here, I just, I try to help you and you're just like, ah, ah! I just want to go, Pow! just get where we're going. I'm trying to save you. I'm sure Pastor Bubba feels that way about me. Maybe my wife, maybe my kids, maybe my friends hit me. Sometimes I just need to be hit. So, so point number five, and this is the final point, it's, it's eternal life. It's all about eternal life. If you're going to rejoice 
Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Amen? You need to be excited about that. You need to be glad about that. You need to be thankful about that. That ought to pick your lip up. Amen? Ought to put a smile on your face. But don't, isn't it so easy to forget that? To forget that your name's written in heaven? That's just, it just kind of fades away, doesn't it? And we forget about it. Maybe we need to start looking at each other and say, hey, saw you was registered. I'm registered too. Maybe we need to do something to encourage one another. Amen? I want to close by praying just a prayer of faith this morning. And I'm going to pray that God makes you hungry for faith. That God makes you hungry for the journey. Because I promise you, there's some of you here, you're just tired of serving God. You've grown weary. Some of you have been hanging on to promises so long, you've got calluses and cramps and everything else. And I just want you to know, don't give up. Don't let go. Amen. Father, I come to you right now, Lord, and I thank you for this church. I thank you for your, your people that are here today, Lord. I thank you for your children. I thank you that, Lord, everybody here, you have a plan for. Lord, you've got a blueprint for their life. You've got plans, plans to prosper, plans to give them this abundant life, plans to use them, plans to be with them, Lord. Father, there's some of us here that have, have given up on some things. Lord, I pray that we, we grab hold of them again today. Lord, if we've maybe forgotten that our names are written in the book of life and that we're registered in heaven, Lord, help us to remember. I pray that, Father, when we think about the day we're going to walk into heaven and the day we're going to be there and the day we get to meet you face to face, we get to put the, the face to the, to the voice I pray, Lord, for that day that it's just going to be a great day, an awesome day. I pray that as we think about that, Father, we walk with a little bit more pep in our step. And Father, we, we, we smile with a little bit more smile. And Father, we have this joy inside of us that's almost unexplainable. Lord, I thank you that I can't understand everything that you do and how you do things and why you do things, but I thank you that I can trust you. I thank you that you've taught me how to trust you even when I can't understand you. Father, I pray that over this church this morning. I thank you for the journey called faith. I thank you that you love the process because you love being with your people. I pray we leave here today knowing that you love to be with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Seal this word upon our hearts. And Lord, I pray we just chew on it all week. And Father, you use it to just change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.